Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. This is Journeys with Jen. I'm Jennifer Griego. Today, we are here with some very interesting people, uh, Lincoln and Jim Tapp. They are very close friends of ours, which as you have learned from previous podcasts, when we are close with people, there is no mercy and we constantly rip each other to shreds. Uh, but they're very close friends of ours and, oh, and my dad is here. He, he's always here. Okay. So just, uh, I'm leaving on Saturday. So good well, luck with that. Anyway, anyway, they're really close friends of ours and I'm very excited to talk to you. Hey, can we make it clear, Jen, that just because Lincoln and I have the same last name, we're not related in any way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, anyway, they have, uh, their TV show, Young Wild. Lincoln is trying to be the youngest person with, to get their super slam with a bow. All, all North American 29 yeah. Big Game Animals. Yes. What's and how guys? do you know them? What? My dad met them first when Lincoln went on his first hunt outside of Oklahoma. and Well, they're from Oklahoma. I thought I should say that. And then I met them at the Sheep Show in Reno a couple years ago, like three years ago. And they have sure. they actually went on all of my sheep hunts with me and filmed them, which will be out soon, right, Jim? Uh, yeah, surely tomorrow, right? <laughs> Please don't call him Shirley. Um but uh, <laughs> that'll be another podcast talking about that show called Undefined. But, um, okay, now welcome. I'm going to like come up with flashcards for you, Jen. Hey, I might need them. I'm struggling today. Anyway, yeah, so what's up, guys? How's it going? What? <laughs> <laughs> for the love of God, this is going to be a struggle. Have you guys gotten hit with a tornado lately? Have we been hit by a tornado? No, I'm still alive. Every, Sadly. Jen, honestly, it's every other day here right now. Is it really? That sucks. Yeah, dead serious. Yeah. Every other day we have really bad weather. And you guys <coughs> did really were hit by, your house was hit by a tornado. What was that? How, how many years ago? In Seven, 2013. Six. Six years ago. Look at that quick math. That's because we're not homeschooled. What? Lincoln, do you have the phone up to your ear? Yes, I do. Yep. This isn't Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> is it? <laughs> Seems like you yeah, have the I same grasp of uh, technology. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, welcome guys. So glad to have you on the podcast. I'll try to help Jennifer through this I'm one. I'm sorry, it's been a rough day. Yeah, well, you have been awake for two hours continuously. So what would you like to talk <laughs> about today, Jennifer? Well, in all seriousness, which rarely ever happens when we talk, um, but I just want to talk about like hunting and how obviously Lincoln and I grew up hunting and kind of Lincoln, how you've grown through that and <clears throat> started your super slam goal and how um, you've learned from that and grown from that. And so to start that off, Jim, did you grow up hunting? And if not, like, how did you get into hunting? Yeah, so un unlike you and Lincoln, um, I did not grow up hunting. I didn't have a dad that took me out and did the kind of things that, that Bob and I have done with you and Lincoln. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I went to college in Abilene, Texas, which is my parents gave me like three schools I could go to, and Abilene was one of them, and it was the furthest one far western Texas, and uh, I roomed with a bunch of guys I didn't even know, and they were all into hunting and fishing, so I was actually 19 years old when I was, you know, first really introduced to hunting and fishing, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I didn't I didn't get to do it from a young age, and uh, fell in love with it in college, and, and uh, obviously, you know, raised Lincoln doing it, like Bob is with you. Mm -hmm. And you started sooner than my dad. You started medical school, right, Dad? Right. I didn't start um, big game hunting until medical school. Uh, and, Jim, how much hunting did you do before you just went to help Lincoln? Because, basically, you rarely hunt. I think one of the hunts on your show, you got to shoot a caribou. But, otherwise, you're just behind the camera or 
doing things assisting Lincoln rather than hunting. So how much have you done on by yourself? Yeah, so in, in terms of like the traveling stuff that Bob, you and I and Lincoln and Jen and we've all done together now, when I, I literally, I started hunting when I was in college and I basically whitetail and elk hunted only. I mean, I've never done any of the exotic hunts myself that, you know, I've done with, with Jen and with Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never did any of that myself. I just deer hunted and elk hunted for, you know, 20 years. And then, you know, it wasn't until Lincoln and, you know, Jen got into some of the kind of North American big game hunts that they're doing that I ever was able to travel and do those kind of hunts, you know, just behind the camera. Yeah. And well, really, <clears throat> if you think about it, it's mostly because by the time we get done paying for their crap, we don't have any money to do anything for ourselves, right? I, I do it, remember. It's I, a lot like that. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember one of your first jobs. I think that Rodney Dangerfield offered you some money for. Hey, you want to make fourteen dollars the hard way? <laughs> I think that was maybe your first yeah, job. Yeah, but I thought we weren't going to bring that up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Well what I'm doing with my kids now, Jim, and you might want to start this is oh instead of like a hunt or a, a Christmas gift, I will just That's as good as money, sir. Those are IOUs. Go ahead and add it up. Every cent's accounted for. Look. See this? That's a car. Two hundred and seventy five thou. Might want to hang on to that one. I think it's worked out well for me, and it gives me more chances to do hunts for myself because <clears throat> the kids can't really read IOU. They can't spell that, and they don't know what follows a dollar sign anyway. So you want to just take that as a little weird. piece of advice. It's weird, Bob, because when you talk, some of the stuff you say like is reminiscent of some old movie quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Even has the same tone of voice, too. Yeah. it's uh, <clears throat> Well, that's Dumb and Dumber, which there are a lot of uh, things that are similar, you know, especially with you being dumber, but, but anyway. So, so kind. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway, so <clears throat> obviously, Jim, we just talked about how you got into hunting, and obviously, Lincoln, you and I both grew up hunting, but, like, how old were you when you first really got into it? Why don't you tell us a little about how you got into it and, like, what you began hunting? Yeah, so I, when I first, I think where hunting really started for me was when I actually got time, um, when I actually was able to start investing time into it. Um, for the first oh, few years of my life, um, of my young life when I was actually getting into the outdoors, getting into hunting, I went to a private school that was um, that didn't really allow me time to practice hunting, to practice time in the outdoors. Um, and so when it really got real for me was when I was pulled out and able to start homeschooling um, when I was around 11. But I, I harvested my first uh, animal when I was eight years old. It was a it was a hog. And then when I turned, I think I think I was ten when I killed my first deer with a bow. And then. Um, <laughs> Obviously, I was pulled out of pulled out of school and started homeschooling when I was eleven, and that's when it got really real for me because that's that's kind of all I did. You know, I I, I talk about this. And this was something that kind of became obvious to me recently. I really didn't have a place to like, and and I may be jumping to another question that you have, but I really didn't have a place to pull like any like self confidence from any any sense of self esteem from because I wasn't really getting any sports back in school like all the other kids were. Um, but I, I, I knew one thing, and that's that I loved outdoors. So mm-hmm. when I was pulled out of school and able to start homeschooling, that was just my, my yellow ticket to go um, be in the outdoors all the time. And so um, that was that was kind of my outlet, and that was my opportunity to kind of jump on that and um, have a look back since. Yeah, and obviously I've gone to private schools my whole life, and my family's kind of learned to 
uh, just ditch it and go hunting. Uh, Timmy's attendance record for his eighth grade year sucked. He was fishing, and we all went hunting. Hey, um, man, it's a different type of education. Yeah. But, Lincoln, and obviously we've watched your show, and we encourage all of Jennifer's listeners to, to watch a Young Wild TV. And there are – I know that there are a lot of those episodes that are available on your website. The one – the first episode, actually, I don't even know if it was the first, but the one where you guys talked about um, your difficulties with school and how much better you would do at home being homeschooled. Um, why don't you guys talk about what the outdoors added to that, not just being homeschooled in a different uh, academic setting, but the time together in the outdoors. How, how has that um, benefited you guys? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll start this one um, by saying that the decision to homeschool was never an academic decision for us. Um, it was more of a decision made out of necessity. Um, as we've talked about on the show, it was it was due to some learning disabilities that I was going through. Um, but it was never, once we started homeschooling, it's not like we gave up on education or anything, but um, it was never a decision that we made to be the best academically or try to get some kind of academic scholarship to some um, big university. So, so. It was more about, I say all that to say, there's nothing wrong with that stuff, and, and I find that stuff very impressive and, and worthwhile pursuit, for sure. But um, for me, it became more about who I was as a person um, and, and the things that I was going to try to, um, that, that I may have tried to do to, to pull people's approval from or pull um, just my sense of self-worth from if I didn't have hunting and if I wasn't able to focus on the outdoors. Um, I, I don't know what kind of person I'd be today. Um, so I would say that the outdoors definitely gave me um, just just my own lane to kind of march in and 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 stay in. And I haven't um, I haven't wanted to do anything else. I haven't really wanted to get out of that lane. And uh, that's that's given me a sense of of accomplishment and and um, kind of a le- leveling the playing field um, with, with me and other people. But again, it wasn't ever. It wasn't ever about the academics. Um, I'll never be as smart as a lot of kids out there um, academically. Um, but, but again, I don't. I, I'm happy with the person I am and the person that I've become uh, directly due to the fact that I've been able to focus on hunting the outdoors and uh, spending time with my dad. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's awesome. I, I will say that, um, you know, when I first met you, Lincoln, you were 12, and it was like you had memorized – you had in your brain so many statistics about um, where people had taken whatever animal, what size animal it was, what subspecies of animal it was, who shot it, what year. I mean, it was it was like you it was like you had this tremendous knowledge base, um, like photographic memory, basically. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's it it was impressive. It still is. You still have a tremendous knowledge base for for data like that and you're a b- very bright guy we like to make fun of you incessantly but oh uh, really you know, th- <laughs> no with all sincerity though you are a bright guy and and you have um accumulated quite a bit of knowledge and but it's one of those things that if you have a passion for something um it's easier to remember it right right yeah for sure and that and that's I, I find that playing out in different areas of my life now and and i think it's important to have that knowledge of um you know do do something that you're semi-passionate about because um, with my personality type, if I'm doing something that I'm not uh, passionate about to an extent or interested in, uh, I'm just not going to be good at it. Um, so it, it's all about, and for me, it's all about seeking out those things that I that I find interesting and find um, find 
some passion in uh, right off the bat. And, and hunting obviously uh, ticked all those boxes for me, and that's something that um, I've been able to flourish in just because I love it so much, and there's nothing I'd rather be doing. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, and you say, you say you're not the smartest person, but you do have crazy good memory, and you're like those people who know everything about certain sports, but you know everything about hunting, which I – well, when people know, like, batting averages for people, I think it's kind of crazy, but you – like we'll be on a hunt together and you'll be talking to the guides about anything and everything, anything they mentioned, like, Oh yeah, I read that. And then this guy did this and shot this biggest one. He was from here. And then all that stuff. And it's crazy. And I think it's really impressive. And anytime David has a question, I'm like, bro, I don't know. Ask Lincoln. Like I have no clue. He'll know for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. That's something that I I love to do. And and I'm definitely passionate about, but dad, is there anything? No, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I think for for Lincoln, you know, and and I watch the same thing with Jen. I think it's important for for young people to be able to, you know, to have something that they're passionate about, to put their heart and souls into, to have goals that they, you know, one thing I don't like, and I'm, this is not to pick on, you know, the establishment, but one thing I don't like about, um, you know, a lot of young people are forced into the same four or five things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether soccer, basketball, baseball, whatever. And and the one thing I like about what, what Jen has been able to accomplish and, and the journey that she's been on and what Lincoln's been able to accomplish in the journey, I like that kids can have individual uh, passions and individual successes that don't have to be just the two or three things that, you know, society says, this is what you have to pursue or this is what you have to be good at. So... You know, and and quite honestly, I mean, I did all that kind of stuff growing up, and when I look at the accomplishments, the the perseverance, you know, I was watching today, Jen, some stuff from uh, for one one of your final sheep hunts, and I was reminded. I don't know if you remember the hike back after your fan and ram harvest. Do you remember the <clears> hike <throat> back to camp? It was raining and it was yes. windy and it was cold. Damn. Not that any of us care about this, but you were actually the first one back. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, you know, my point being, I just love that you guys have invested your time and energy and your passion into something that's so difficult that, you know, so many, it's different, but also so difficult. So many people, you know, will never even realize the difficulty and the the, the challenge and the perseverance that's required. It makes me really proud. Yeah, well, thank you. And like, like, like I said earlier, I do go to a public school. So a lot of my friends are non-hunters, people who don't understand hunting, and it is cool obviously to have friends who get hunting but when i go to school some people they just don't understand it and so i explain it to them and stuff but um it is an accomplishment that i'm very proud of and um i love to be able to share with people who understand it and even to like explain it and teach it to people who want to understand it and want to learn more about it and it's definitely something that's unique and even living down in scottsdale a lot of people don't hunt and i'm sure more do in oklahoma because you can basically in your backyard but um there's a lot of people who don't so it's very unique to do down here and it's um something that i love to do and i love being able to share with other people who don't quite understand it and um even bring some people into it if they're interested well it's one of those things too though and people think of hunting i don't think they understand especially if they don't hunt they don't understand what that encompasses it's not just shooting a weapon it is being physically in shape to be able to do it mentally prepared to be able to withstand the elements and the weather and the frustrations and the tough terrain and the fatigue and all those parts of it but you also have to prepare for for you know to be insulated to be 
just something to like right now I'm, I'm heading to Alaska on Saturday. Got to make sure I've got my water filter, that I've got different layers of clothes, that I've got a good sleeping bag, a sleeping pad, something to carry the water and a good backpack, uh, rain gear, um, gaiters for your, uh, to keep the stuff out of your boots, uh, leaves and stuff, good boots. You have to take care of your boots, make sure they're waterproof. There's so much preparation that goes into those mm-hmm. things and they require you to be, and Jim, I know that, that I did the same thing with Jennifer. They're not, your kids aren't independent when they start on these quests but they learn the responsibilities and things that it takes of them. And, you know, that's part of the sense of responsibility and autonomy and uh, things that you just don't get going to school and going to practice and that sort of stuff. There's so many lessons that get learned in the outdoors of survival and danger. And um, there are just a lot of different things that come from it that, you know, when people say, I like hunting, it isn't just, I like shooting an animal. It's all the other parts that go into it that add so much to your life and your existence and your self-confidence and your self-reliance. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So um, I I just want to talk about a little bit, Lincoln. I know you basically just bow hunt. And um, I was just curious, Jim, when you started hunting, did you use a rifle or a bow? Yes, I've only bow hunted. I I was actually, you know, pretty much introduced to, to hunting uh, by a college roommate, and he was a bow hunter, and he let me use his bow, and and uh, I don't know, I just that's what I always started with, and that's what I loved, and um, yeah, so that's just kind of been my deal, and obviously Lincoln's kind of the same boat. Uh, we have a phenomenal amount of respect. In fact, we did some long-range shooting one time uh, in New Mexico, mm-hmm. and uh, definitely see how people get into that. Yeah. Um, so we have a tremendous amount of respect. It's not a it's not a situation where we go, oh, we're purists and we love bow hunting for the. We just that's what we've done and that's what we love. But we have a tremendous amount of respect for all all forms of hunting. Yeah, and I I do not bow hunt that often. I basically only shot uh, javelina and an elk, but that was like with a crossbow. Um, I love rifle hunting. I think it's a ton of fun. But I do have a great respect for bow hunters and bow hunters who can get animals down because you need. To have, first of all, great accuracy with your bow, and second of all, you have to be able to get in close to the animal. And so, <clears throat> I think it is very um, admirable for bow hunters who can get a lot of animals down because I struggle with having a lot of accuracy and <clears throat> getting close to animals certain times, especially because you have to walk so much more and you have like more stalks that you go on and a less success rate. So, I think it is awesome for people, people who do archery because. It is such a hard thing to do. Lincoln, talk about that for a second. Talk about the um, the complexity and how of uh, stalking animals, spot and stalk, um, as opposed to tree stand hunting. I'm I'm sure that you started out in Oklahoma hunting whitetails out of a tree or elevated stand. It's a different world when yeah. you're on the ground, isn't it? Yeah, no, it really is for sure. And um, something I'll say is is I think that I always took. Um, I think this is actually something that I take uh, for granted about bow hunting is just paying attention to animals' body language. Um, mm-hmm. Something that really, something that is a really uh, amazing tool to be able to use in bow hunting is, is paying attention to animals' body language at certain times, um, knowing what the animal's going to do next, being able to predict that next move, um, and that's going to give you a huge edge in bow hunting. Um, and that's why bow hunting is different than than pretty much any other sport and and. And that's one of the things that sets apart um, from from other forms of hunting is that it takes so much time to learn that those specific body languages that the animals um, uh, use to alert other animals or to um, 
to hint around that they're that they're sensing danger. Um, I think that's something I take for granted because I grew up um, kind of stalking deer out in the woods behind my house a lot, um, and, and I really was able to learn animals' body language from a young age. So that that's something that I think I take for granted. But when people t- ask me, they're like, "Man, can you teach me how to bow hunt?" It's not really. There are things that can be taught, and I will take anybody out bow hunting anytime. Um, because I love to get people into the outdoors, and I think that that's the first step. But you don't learn bow hunting from somebody else. You learn bow hunting yourself. Um, bow hunting is one of those things. You, you spend enough time out in the woods, you spend enough time with the animals, and you're going to learn a lot about the animals, and you're going to be able to become a more effective bow hunter the more trial and error that you have. Um, trial and error is the biggest teacher when it comes to bow hunting. So um, I, I would say that that's the biggest thing about bow hunting for me um, is just, it, how much time it takes to learn the different do's and don'ts, but but they're all personal lessons, and everybody's going to take each lesson from the animals and each lesson from nature differently. Um, mm-hmm. So it's something that that comes from personal time in the outdoors, um, and and bowhunting just takes a lot of time. It really does uh, to to learn those different tools. No, yeah. I think you're right. <clears throat> you know, learning from your mistakes is mm-hmm. is huge because you you start to realize when you can move, when you can't move. You know. Uh, what sort of cover is going to be enough? When, what isn't? You know, wh- where to look for the yeah, other animals yep. that are there that you may not have seen and how to take your time, how to be patient. Uh, so many of those things are lessons that you're right. You can't, you don't learn it from watching it on TV. You don't really learn it from following somebody, you know. And, you know, my kids have hunted with me and, and with guides and stuff. And it's not the same as when you do it yourself. It's it's a huge learning curve. It's like everything else in life. You've got to make your mistakes to learn from them. But it all gets kind of condensed into you can blow everything in a few split seconds in the outdoors but yeah very powerful lessons yeah and lincoln i was yeah, kind of sure. i was kind of curious i know my dad's obviously always shooting his bow he's a big bow hunter and now he barely ever I'm hunts huge. with a rifle in case you guys oh, okay. know, i'm actually huge not not literally huge. big but anyway um so how often do you practice either before hunt like before hunt and on the off season when you're not hunting like in the spring or something so this is uh yeah, this is an interesting question because I know that there are a lot of people who um, honestly work harder than me in the archery department of things. Um, shooting your bow is a very important thing, and, and being effective with your bow is a very important thing. Um, but just as important is knowing yourself, knowing the kind of training that you specifically need to get the job done. Um, I would say that, that guys like Levi Morgan, for example, a great friend of mine, he shoots his bow every day, I have no doubt, and he is extremely, extremely effective at what he does, and for that reason, he would be comfortable taking a longer shot on an animal than I would be. And he's a world uh, champion competitive shooter, so people don't he know is, who yeah, he is. Yeah. It helps, it helps a little. No, yeah. I mean, but he's worked uh, hard to get that, just for people to know his background, he's... <clears throat> yeah, he's, he's, he's an absolute, absolute animal. Same with guys like, um, like game, Cam Haynes, um... Uh, those guys, those guys are shooting machines. They're shooting all the time. Um, I get into seasons of my life when I'm like that, um, but honestly, hunting, I always want to keep it as a passion. And and the passion for me in hunting isn't necessarily the archery side of it. There's a lot of guys who are really like archery bow freaks. And mm-hmm. this might be this might sound weird coming from somebody who only bow hunts, but to me, it's not necessarily about the bow. It's not necessarily about how good I can become with my bow because. I know that I could definitely be, become a lot better at shooting, and my accuracy um, could increase a lot just by shooting every day, even in the off season, which I will tell you right now I haven't been doing. 
Um, mm-hmm. But for me, the passion is getting that close to the animals and being able to outsmart the animals in that way. It's not really being able to thread the needle with the arrow um, and make that amazing shot. That's not where my satisfaction comes from. A quick, clean kill is obviously the most awesome thing ever and something I wish for every one of the animals that I harvest. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and I practice enough to be able to do that on every animal that I, that I will take a shot on. Um, but to me, the, I feel like say to me the passion and, and the drive isn't from making that absolutely perfect shot or hitting the 3D target in the same spot every day. To me, it's about getting that close to the animals outsmarting the animals and proving proving to myself that I can do something that I thought was impossible. Um, so it's not, I'm not necessarily a bow technician, um, but I am an, an archery hunter is how I would maybe phrase that. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I've never like heard that outlook on it, but that's, yeah, that's really interesting that you, your point of view on that. And um, I think that's a really good point of view to have going into hunts especially. And it just kind of proves that you focus more on the animal itself instead of, the weapon you're using and you just have that great of love and passion for the animals instead of just going out there to prove that you're a good shot. Yeah. And as far as like, as far as like literally what I'm doing, um, how much I'm shooting, like for example, the last few months I haven't been shooting much at all. Um, but this year really, really soon because I have a hunt in August, I'll be picking up my jet, my bow, um, quite a bit at the end of June and especially into July and I will just be shooting every day, day in and day out, um, really, really cramming for that hunt. But as far as in the off season, I really love to just kind of relax, enjoy the family, enjoy time with friends. And it's not, I don't really like to stress myself out with um, how I'm shooting week in and week out because all that matters is how I'm shooting on, on the uh, day that I uh, go hunting for that animal, right? And mm-hmm. um, that's that, that's just as much mental as it is anything. So, so I think that... Um, as a bow hunter, you have to figure out how to prepare yourself mentally um, and, and adapt to how you're shooting at a certain time and how confident you are at a certain time. Um, so I don't, I, I don't stress that. Like right now, I'm not stressing, um, but here in about a month, I'll be shooting a ton and and getting ready. Usually, about a month or two out is when I'll really start shooting a ton. Um, and, and that's honestly what I've heard from a lot of my peers and and some of the some of the greats out there. Uh, kind of have sim- similar training. Um, archery training techniques. Uh, I know Tom Hoffman definitely relates to that. He's not shooting much in the off season, but then um, come one or two months before the hunt, he's definitely picking up his bow every day and putting a lot of time in. Mm-hmm. Bob, you're kind of the same way, aren't you? You kind of get dialed in the last couple of weeks, really, before you're traveling is when you really focus on how you're shooting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. That it's easy to get busy doing other stuff, and and I've been fortunate, especially as I've been taking more time off from my career. I've been doing more hunts. There's always, it seems like every couple of months there's something. So I, I don't go pro- for prolonged periods without shooting my bow at all. But um, I do definitely spend a lot more time in the month or two months before, uh, before a hunt. But I have found the older I've gotten, the more that I've shot, and the more I want to be very good with my shooting. Sometimes it actually gets a little worse um, the more I shoot. And I have to kind of take time off and, you know, either do a, a training release um, um, a release trainer or uh, blank bail shooting or just aiming and not letting the arrow go and just take some time away from it. Otherwise, I do get to where I start punching the release and locking off target, get some target panic stuff. It seems like the more that I do at closer range, the, the more I get of that. So then if I back up and I'm shooting at 
80 to 90 yards for practice, it seems like my shooting gets better again because I can't see as um, not trying to make as perfect of a shot and concentrate more on my form and the follow through and things get better. But, you know, sometimes like I can shoot longer distance easier at our cabin than I can here at our house. So um, it's, it's easier for me to practice long range up there. But it's funny, the psychology of it. And I think that you have to know when you're starting to get frustrated with your shooting, uh, sometimes you need to take a break and just focus on something else. And I've, mm-hmm. I've listened to some interviews with Levi Morgan and, and stuff, uh, Lincoln and his, you know, he said sometimes he'll take two months off, not shoot an arrow at all. He'll just draw and aim and just you know, hold his pin on a target and just focus on aiming. And you know, as soon as he starts to, you know, move around and, and lose his, um, his strength on that individual draw, he'll, he'll let the bow down, you know, but that's, you know, those are helpful hints too, but it's such a mental game. And that's one of the things that I really like about archery and about bow hunting is it is a nice place for your mind to go. It's kind of a microcosm for life and for stresses and challenges and pushing yourself. And, um, it's, it's just a great thing. But I, I think like you, Lincoln, I really do hit it hard before a hunt, but I, I rarely don't do it all. I, I rarely put it away completely for prolonged periods of time, at least in the last few years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I'll agree with everything you said um, about kind of the more you practice. It seems like um, if you practice, there's a point for me as well, um, just like you were talking about, that, man, when I'm when I'm practicing an absolute ton and really just nitpicking everything I'm doing, and honestly, this goes for a lot of things and just honestly in life, when you're hyper, absolutely hyper-focusing on something and how you're doing on stuff, um, or, or any given any given activity, when you're absolutely hyper focusing on it, uh, you're really going to notice your mistakes a lot more, which can make you a better archer. But at the same time, because archery is a mental game, if you start nitpicking everything you're doing, and if you start um, shooting for perfection, um, it, it it can seriously mess you up mentally. And I've had seasons uh, since I've been bow hunting that I, I feel like I've really messed myself up uh, mentally with my shooting, and it's honestly made it unenjoyable for me. So. I think that I've I've honestly done the same thing as well. If I find that I'm kind of nitpicking too much or shooting too much and and getting in my head about it, I'll put the bow down and and just really honestly back up from the target, just like you were saying. Um, Focus on some more quality, more focused long-range shots instead of uh, worrying about where that pin is exactly on those close-range shots. Because the fact of the matter is, on, on... 15, 20, 25, 30-yard shots that we're taking on animals. Those are close-range shots, and those are happening so quick that we aren't really nitpicking everything anyways. So mm-hmm. um, it's those, it's those long-range shots that are more focused are the ones that I try to focus on um, when, when I think I'm getting in my head too much. And I just do a couple of those a day and, and, and put the bow down because I don't want to get in my head too much. You know, it's funny. And Bob, I think we've all heard about how stressful the adult film industry can be, so I'm super glad to hear you start to take some time off. Well, I'm sure as a spectator like you are, Jim, um, it's hard to Ooh. imagine, you know, what the professionals like myself, but I don't want to digress too much in, in this family <laughs> broadcast. But uh, you know, talking about you know, shooting at targets, David, you know, my oldest son, mm-hmm. uh, he's one of the two good ones out of the three. Timmy's um, the bad one. Just kidding. No, I'm not. Let's just say the boys are good and leave it at that. Whoa. Anywho, um, David. That was rude. Routinely, he's got typically pretty bad form, uh, especially oh, shooting so at a target. Kind. He slaps the release, punches the trigger, and his groups are not usually very good. 
but he gets it done on animals because he's not focusing on a little tiny target and trying to have the perfect mm-hmm. shot and timing his pin going across it. He picks a spot, aims at it, and follows through, and he uses it very well in hunting situations. But it's funny how yeah, the psychology the can be so much different when you're shooting at a target. And Lincoln, I remember on Jennifer's uh, first sheep hunt in the Northwest Territories where you, where you were there, and we're all standing around as you're sighting in your bow, that can be a very stressful situation and you're, you know, I think you're rushing some of your shots and you had a couple <coughs> arrows that weren't the best. And I said, Jennifer, let's just leave. Mm-hmm. Let's let Lincoln figure his stuff out and not sit here and have an audience when you're, you know, trying to get your stuff dialed in. Sometimes that pressure can make things worse for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and um, I think that, I think that this goes for all facets of hunting, um, hunting in general. I mean, we're talking about the mental game of archery. Hunting in general is a mental game, yeah. and um, I think that there's a difference between somebody, and again, I respect the guys so much who are practicing with their bows every day and will be much better better archers than me um, for it. Um, however, there's there's a difference between being an amazing archer and having kind of what I call the killer instinct. Um, there, there's just something in, in some hunters that set them apart, um, just like you were talking about with David, him maybe not having the best groupings on the target sometimes, um, but just being able to straight get it done on animals. Um, and, and some some people have it, some people don't. Um, most of the best hunters I've found have it, um, and and it doesn't it doesn't matter how good of a shot they are, they just have that instinct that allows them to get close and perform really well in those clutch situations. And and it's something that's absolutely essential to have. And honestly, I found that it, it it's usually a lot more important than how good you can hit that target um, in the yard when you're practicing that. That killer instinct, knowing when to to release that arrow, knowing where exactly to put it on the animal when he's turned this way or that way, um, and, and knowing when to draw your bow based on the animal's body language, all that stuff I, I kind of chalk up to just kind of the killer instinct and, and how good your instincts are once you get in those clutch situations of bow hunting and and I found that to be just as important, if not more important, when it comes to getting it done on some of these animals. No, I, I would definitely agree with that. <clears throat> yeah, and I just wanted to say real quick, like, obviously I do a lot of rifle hunting, and it's very different when you're practicing for a rifle hunt than an archery hunt, because archery you can shoot, um, you can practice virtually anywhere. All you just got to do is put a target up and you're good, but when you're hunting with a rifle, you usually have to go to a range or something in practice. So obviously I don't practice as much for a rifle hunt as actually I don't practice for archery hunts either well, really, but, well, but like, tell them how you do practice for a rifle yeah, hunt. Yeah, when I do pra- well, when I do practice for a rifle hunt, I dry fire a lot to get my form down because I've become very flinchy. <clears throat> but um like archery hunting is just so different cuz you can shoot your arrows multiple multiple times and like shoot a bunch, go grab them and go back. So it's very different when you're practicing for a rifle hunt from when you're practicing for an archery hunt. Because it's different conditions, and obviously you need to practice. You need to practice more for an archery hunt, depending on who you are. But like archery hunts, you only have a couple shots, and you're very close, and you have just like an arrow, and, and it's very different. And you can practice a lot more, but I also feel like you need to be a lot more accurate with an arrow than you do with a bullet. There's a lot more that goes into yeah, getting the shot. I never really thought about the fact that you don't, you can't just go shoot anywhere or anytime. I never really. Yeah, thought I mean, about that's so. an interesting. That's an interesting perspective. I haven't thought about that either. Yeah, it's because I only practice when I practice for my sheep hunts. Obviously, I dry fired a lot, but I only live fired maybe like less than ten rounds, maybe ten 
I think three or four. Three or four, yeah, less than ten. Yeah, kids so, can't go get that yardage anywhere. I never really thought about that. So yeah. what I always did with the kids, guys, was I would have them practice. I, I was always concerned about having the kids get um, concerned about recoil and getting gun shy. And um, so I would have the kids shoot a pellet gun, and I'd set it up and have them shoot it at balloons and then move them back from like 10 yards to 20 and get them to 40 yards, make the balloon smaller to where, you know, they were shooting with a scoped pellet gun and they got pretty good at that. And there's no recoil. And I also had it on a tripod. So it was steady and they learned how to acquire the target through the scope. And we spent a lot of time doing that. And then I would have them, I'd take them to the range and let them shoot one or two rounds just to make sure that their eye was centered in the scope and they could acquire the target and the gun was on for them uh, the same as it was for me when I set it up. But Jennifer, you know, she got the first animal she ever shot. She got scoped. She got kicked by the scope and cut her eyebrow. And that didn't bother her because she was so excited about taking her first deer. When it happened at a rifle range, it was a different story. And it took her a couple of years to get over it. She was mm-hmm. afraid every time she I'm still not trigger, over it. it I still flinch. flinch. Yeah, so we spent a lot of time doing the dry firing stuff just so that she realizes that the gun's not going to kick her. And it's funny, the psychology of that, because she got really bad for a while where she was just totally pulling her head up off the off the butt of the rifle and wasn't accurate at all but but it is different and jennifer used to have smart remarks about you lincoln when she was shooting at the target at four and five hundred yards remember that jennifer oh you were saying how much easier it is for lincoln so he has to walk like 30 or 40 yards to get his arrows (laughs) i don't remember this (laughs) yeah i probably was roasting you that's not a shocker as as opposed to having to drive in the truck all the way over and check the target and you know, see where you hit and all that kind of stuff and drive back and pick everything up. And, yeah. But, that uh, that sounds like something I would say. No, no. But problem. I do remember. I don't really, I don't really, I don't really recall a time that Jennifer was able to successfully roast me, but if you guys, I mean, if you guys remember it, then. I'm I was sure never I able to roast you. Okay, Lincoln, whatever. I disagree. <laughs> but I no, digress. Jennifer never tries to roast people. I do remember, though, when we were shoot, <laughs> when you were shooting in uh, NWT before my first hunt, you did break an arrow and then I grabbed it and then you yelled at me because I was in the had like the carbon on my hands or whatever boom roasted <laughs> but boom. and i also remember boom, on my roasted. stop on my <laughs> desert sheep hunt we were okay we tested my gun from like 100 yards and my That's dad goes, the office by the way and my dad goes all right this is gonna be like i don't know like half an inch low or whatever and so i kind of still am mad at myself for saying this because it was so bratty but i shot it and there was like i don't know like five of you maybe maybe watching me and I so I get like I get prone and I shoot it and it hits the paper, it was, we're shooting paper plate and it hits paper plate below the dot where I was aiming and I go oh half an inch low and I, I'm still so mad at myself for saying that because I felt like that was such a bratty thing to say to just come out of my gun and be like oh I'm dead on but then I think we did measure it and it was like half an inch but I remember <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I do remember that. And my dad always would have well, us practice I, I think, under pressure. I think Jim was saying the right thing there. And basically, yeah, freaking <laughs> But uh, yeah, there is a lot of pressure. Chris Farley. Down by the river? Yes. Yeah, we, that's, that's awesome. That's yeah, where Jennifer's going to live when she gets out of college. That's rude. But yeah, we do practice a lot under pressure. I remember my dad would always have us shoot the the water or the balloons and he'd be playing music and my brothers would be right there he'd be like yelling at each other and clapping and like making a lot of noise and being a distraction and like he would time us so we were under pressure and we would always be like dude why are you doing this like we're not gonna have a time limit when we're there 
He goes, you need to practice under pressure so that way when you are under pressure, when you are in that situation, you're not going to get all flustered, get all like yeah. anxious and I, stuff. Yeah, I'm surprised Bob was able to think of something that intricate. That's really, that's really smart. That's probably the smartest thing I ever heard you that say, honestly. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I'm just trying to keep them away from their destiny, which is probably this. You're going to be doing a lot of doobie rolling when you're living in a van down by the river. <laughs> we oh hope not. Goodness. We hope not. Anyway. Chris Farley from SNL. <laughs> <laughs> well, back back to um, kind of what we were talking about. We I did mention earlier, Lincoln, your um, quest for the Super Slam, and I just wanted. I've heard this story, but I just wanted everyone to hear it again, and just for me to hear again, how kind of you got into that journey. And Jim, you can also pitch into how how you guys got started with that. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny how it all worked out. Um, I I was once I got into hunting um, and really got into bow hunting. I started or not really into it, but once I harvested like my first year with a bow, a couple pigs with a bow. Um, the big thing for me was watching hunting shows, and man, I recorded every hunting show you could even think of. Um, and I would go home um, after after running errands with my mom or whatever. I'd come home. First thing I would do was would be I would go flick on the TV and and watch a couple of hunting shows up in our TV room. And I was trying to remember the exact day um, and kind of how it all played out and how I mentioned it and brought it up to my dad. But but basically the way that I found out and learned about the Super Slam um, is I was watching Tom Miranda's World Class Bow Hunting was the TV show, and he was hunting muskox up in the Arctic, um, which is one of my favorite hunts ever. Um, did you do that, that in the winter? Did you do that in the winter? I winter? did. Oh. Yeah, I, I did that in, in late winter. I did it in March, so yeah, it was really cool. Um, cool. And, and so that, now that I've experienced that, it's been one of my favorite hunts ever, but at the time, it was something that was so foreign to me and so crazy to me, seeing Tom Miranda hunt those muskox with a bow. Um, mm-hmm. And at the end of the show, he would there was this graphic that came up on the screen, and it said, uh, this is Tom Miranda's number blah, 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 the North American 29, uh, or the Super Slam. And so I went and looked up... Uh, how how old were you, slam. by the way? How old I were you? was, at this time, I, I believe I was 12 at the time. Okay. Uh, no, you'd have been younger than that, because 12 is when we started. That's when you like, started. You met my dad You're probably 10 or oh, 11. Oh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be 11. I'd be 11, yep. I was 11. Um, Quit lying about your age. And so, <laughs> He's 17, yeah, doesn't lie about his age. <laughs> Just trying to get in more. Sorry, guys. Um... <laughs> No, so I, uh, I I brought it up to my dad after I'd researched this Super Slam. I find it. I find the website. Um, I'm I'm looking at all these different animals, researching these, these different animals, and this is like this is like an encyclopedia list for me to go by to research these new animals because researching animals was my thing. Mm-hmm. And so already this was cool. And then I'm like, okay, this is like a real goal. Like people are actually going for all 29 of these animals. Um, so I brought it up to my dad and, and, and just was like, Dad, what if, like, what if, like, we could do this? Like, and so we just, like, I don't, I don't even know if either of us took it seriously at the time, but we, my dad was, my dad was, said, well, we have white-tailed deer here at home, so we went out white-tailed deer hunting, uh, once again, the next season I got my first buck, we wanted to get a buck down, so that was our goal, we got a white-tailed buck down, and then from there, we just decided to go on some, some different hunts, and I, I don't think we were actually working towards the Super Slam until probably 
five or six animals into it. Um, I think we were just going on some cool hunts that my dad had never been on before that were still kind of in familiar places to him, like New Mexico, Arizona. Um, and then I'd say five or six or seven animals in, it became real. Hey, I mean, you know, we're like a quarter of the way there, so like, let's, let's just keep chugging away at this. Um, so that's that's when it became kind of real for us is 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 just kind of as we were doing it and and that's kind of how the whole thing has played out for us. Just uh, we just we kind of gained momentum as we went. Uh, we started we started hunting these animals and started going to these places. My dad was filming me the entire time, and then it turned into the super slam. And then after it was the super slam, we had this footage from these super slam hunts that we done. And then we meet Cooper. He puts together a promo reel. With this, uh, with this footage that we've collected, and then all of a sudden we have a hunting show. And so we just, it's kind of rolling with the punches, um, I'm rolling with these opportunities that we were blessed to have, and, and it kind of just, man, the word blessed us in so many ways, um, and the stars just aligned perfectly for it to happen for us. And so um, it, it was kind of, it's kind of just a crazy, perfect story how it all worked out. That's awesome. Yeah. And how many, how many more animals do you have six. left? You have six left to do? For the twenty nine, I have, uh, right? I have, I have five left as of right now. That's awesome. close. So, so I have like twenty one or twenty nine, right? Yeah, great math oh. there, buddy. <laughs> Jeez, twenty four. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's homeschool math right there, guys. I do. Stay I in do school, kids. Jump on that one. I was away. Well, hang on. You know, I have this line. This goes back to when you first uh, started being homeschooled. I think. Uh, your mama sure does care about your schooling, son. It's <laughs> from Forrest Gump. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, that's awesome. Uh, but oh I, I will say, I give you a lot of credit because when I first met you when you were twelve, and we were hunting at Arrow Five Outfitters in California for Columbia Blacktail, and I had a lot of fun heckling you because you were just like the same age as my kids, so I could just totally rip on you and stuff like that and no, shoot our bows anyway. and stuff. Plus, I could see you eye to eye because you were 12 then before you were too tall, you little punk ass. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> but you were like, oh, yeah. It was kind of <laughs> uh, creepy because... Uh, yeah, Lincoln was 12, and I was like, man, he sure is spending a lot of time in that guy's tent. <laughs> Come home and had a background check. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it wasn't a tent. It was actually a van. But... <laughs> Oh my god, Jim here with just like the, the jokes on the side, like he's not saying anything, it's all Link and then Jim's going to throw a joke in there real quick. Yeah, and by the way, this is, this I is, know, the, I, <laughs> I think your dad kept saying this. I don't think that's something one dude should say to another dude. Yeah, a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome powers. Uh, it was uh, definitely, the funny thing about that trip that was at Bob was, um, persistently trying to set me up with Jen as like this twelve-year-old kid. What? On the, oh, stop uh, it! Yeah, Jen's gay. We all know that. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> that is not true. We all know Lincoln's the gay one. People, why are you turning this on me? I don't know, but all I know, I know, yeah, yeah. All I know is with the it's first. Not official yet, Jen. <laughs> Sorry, he hasn't come out of the closet yet, guys. But when he does, we'll let you know. Yeah, it was just kind of weird. Like... Jim was always walking around talking to Lincoln, saying, "Have you ever seen a grown man naked?" And the thing was, <laughs> since Lincoln showered with Jim all the time, the answer was still no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh my God! No, but I started God, to say, so I, I started to say that uh, I was very impressed right after that hunt. So you got uh, you got your deer, and that was actually a tough hunt because it got rain at the wrong time, and 
It was a tough hunt. And there were hardly any deer that were around there room the really thick brush because they had feed back there but um then you guys went lincoln and you got your stone sheep and i was like wow that's pretty we, awesome we left arrow five bob when we were with you in california we left and went straight to the yukon territory from there i remember we didn't even go home and that was our first whatever you want to call it that was our first international hunt yeah and uh you know and I'll, that was our first sheep hunt i didn't even know what a stone sheep was in lincoln yeah well you know, i think it was like what no, I was going to make a joke, but... <laughs> I was going to make a joke. Okay. That wasn't your first international hunt, because I, I think you went to Turkey, according to the soundbite. Joey? Yeah? Have you ever been in a in a Turkish prison? <laughs> what? That's irrelevant. That has nothing to do with anything. I know, but I had to use that line from Airplane. Do you have software that has all this, like... He has 500 movie lines on his computer. I just, these are all just my impressions. I'm just a very good impersonator. Whatever. <laughs> and I, I love how Bob's like trying to connect all these movie lines to what we're saying. He's like, oh, and you know, I thought that when you said that. No, they're not at all. That's like, that's the thing. They're totally 100% random. They make zero sense. And then he just laughs at them because he thinks they're funny. They're, they're pretty good. Like, that was had nothing to do with oh, anything. Oh, whatever, Jen. This is for you. This is what I think about that. Oh, those guys are fags! That's fantastic. Did you just call me a fag? Yeah, apparently so. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Fast times versus my high. Goodness. Okay, well, Lincoln, obviously you were 12 when you got your stone sheep. Are you the youngest person? Like, was that the youngest? Oh, sorry, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Wow, you need some, I think you need yeah, some no. lines for your... No, I remember there was something <laughs> significant about you being 12 getting that. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm I, still the youngest. I, think I'm, I mean, nobody come forward. I'm the youngest person... Uh, to harvest a stone sheep with a bow. Yes, you uh, right. And then, and then I went on to be um, the youngest person. It was Adam Foss before me, and then now I'm the youngest person uh, to have gotten the grand slam with a bow, which is all for North American sheep. Sick. That's awesome. I'm the second youngest with a rifle. It's still pretty cool, I think. Uh, who was the youngest? Was it? Uh, you're the second youngest woman. I think was Sarah younger than you? Have we found that out? Yeah, she was. I think she was 16 and I was 17, something like that. Okay. I think. I don't well, remember. you know what they say about people that are second it means that they're actually the first loser. So don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous <laughs> slouch. Why don't you have like if you're not first, you're last? <laughs> I don't have that. Yeah, one. for real, that was the. Best. You don't that's have the. That? That's the only movie these people know. They suck what at movie, movie lines. Talladega Nights. Oh, I think that's <laughs> that's the only movie Lincoln knows. That's the only thing he can quote, and you don't even have it. Well, I apologize. That's not the only. That's not the only. Oh, whatever. Have you seen Endgame yet? No, I haven't. Please don't ruin it for me. I still need to see it. Listen, I make a few mistakes, but still. Well, Dak, here's the deal. I'm the best there is. Plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning. I'm his excellence. <laughs> okay, Lincoln. Well, you stepped on it. Now people can't hear it. I'll play it again. You stepped on it. But this is, you know, pretty much. Lincoln, can you shut up? Here you go. The quote, please. Well, Jack, here's the deal. I'm the best there is. Plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning. I piss excellence. <laughs> oh, hold on, you guys. I'm sorry. I didn't. Jen will have to put this in. You say you got second. Well, if you ain't first. You're last. I told you. See, you do have it. <laughs> Talladega Nights, he just awesome forgot movie. He had it. That's actually The Hangover. No, it's not. <laughs> Lincoln, have you ever seen The Hangover? <laughs> uh, yeah, parts. Yeah. Oh, what? parts. <laughs> Whatever. He was Shake a retard. That's oh hilarious. Oh my god. Okay. Shake it back. Okay. Well, We're total rednecks now. 
Go ahead, oh, honey. Oh, goodness. Oh, jeez. Okay, well, Jim, I do remember this from our first, my first sheep hunt with you guys, was we were talking to you about since you had never hunted, like, anything other than, um, like, white-tailed deer and stuff like that. And if you had wanted to do something like that, and I do, I think this is right, that you said something you would want to hunt is stone sheep. Yeah, I think if I ever had the opportunity to just do whatever, which I never will because I'm doing whatever with my son, <laughs> Jen, but uh, if it ever was about me, uh, yeah, I think that would probably be the preferred, I mean, of all the things we've done, the thin horns, the doll, and the stone, uh, I mean, they're just such a special hunt because of the environment to get in to pursue those animals. Well, I but, Jen, I do think that you misunderstood. He didn't say he wanted to hunt stone sheep. He said he wanted to hunt sheep stoned. <laughs> that's, right, that's right, yeah. Yes, I think that's exactly what it was. As From it, what I've heard, you're using your paper not for writing, but for rolling doobies. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't get out much. No, you really don't. Oh, my Lord. Chris Farley, <laughs> SNL. <laughs> <laughs> Jim's dying over there. <laughs> All right, guys, we are officially 56 minutes in, and we've covered one question. That's not true. We have what, three left? No, we have two left. <laughs> Sorry, I'm really about it, I'm really about it Kelly. Yeah. No, no really? <laughs> Do you know that? Did you know that 21 plus 5 is 29? I didn't know yeah, that. You know that was a joke? Okay, buddy. Hold on a second. I think we have something for that. Hey, man. I'm slinging mad volume and fat stacking Benjis. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can't be all about, like... Spelling and shit. Hey. <laughs> Breaking bad. <laughs> you can hear Jim in the background laughing. <laughs> and this, this Lincoln, I'll give you this one for Jennifer. Oh, God. Sorry, that audio is pretty bad. Yeah, no one could really hear that, I guess. What was that? I, just, I felt like I was getting screamed in the ears. That's um. That's from Farley. SNL. It's Chris Farley interviewing, um, the guy from the Paul Beatles? McCartney. Yeah, and I'm not going to tell you what it said because it was not nice. Yeah, that was uh, to me. That didn't work out too well. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so back to my questions that Lincoln said. We've only gone through one of them. Okay. Um. So, what do you think, Lincoln? What do you think has changed like most about you since you started your Super Slam journey? Certainly not his underwear. Sorry, sorry, Lincoln. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, no, I would say, um, I would say my underwear have changed more than Bob's height. Well, look, someone learned how to roast. <laughs> Which actually, <laughs> I would only have to change once in order for that to be a dub for me. Um, Did you say a dub? Uh, a dub. Oh, anyway, uh, I would say the the thing that's changed most for me. Uh, I kind of touched on this earlier, but uh, really just me getting to prove things to my uh, to myself that I never thought were possible. Um, and, and it started obviously with my dad believing in me um, and and agreeing to go on this crazy journey with me that had never been done it by anyone at, at my age. Um, and so I think I think that my dad believing in me and then me uh, just being able to prove things to myself. I, I think every young boy. Um, and and any young young person, girls too. Uh, oh, thanks. I, I think <laughs> um, I think that they I think that there's this this need to be able to prove things to themselves. Um, I think that we all I think that we can all relate to that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that the outdoors are a perfect place to do that. I think I think that um, when, we're, when we're able to prove things to ourselves, when we're able to accomplish goals that we thought were maybe impossible, we're going to be really hard. 
Um, I think that, that that changes you as a person and, and it gives you the sense of accomplishment and the sense of, uh, the sense of independence that you, that you can't get any other way. Yeah. Um, and that's why I love the outdoor. That's why I love the outdoors so much. And I'd say that that's what's changed for me so much. It's just, um, just, just being able to prove to myself that I can do things that, that I and honest, frankly, other people thought were impossible. I, I guarantee you, if you were to ask a bunch of people who actually knew about cystic fibrosis, if it was possible to get a North American Grand Slam, they would have told you right now. Yeah. Um, but but I'm talking to the first girl that ever did it. And so um, when you're able to prove yourself wrong or, or prove yourself wrong and prove other people wrong, um, that's a very powerful thing, and it, and it changes you as a person, I think, for the better. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And That's very kind, Lincoln. Thank you. I was about to say that. Um, yes, but thank you so much. That's obviously, it's so nice. And I'm glad that I was able to do that with you guys there with me. Um, it made it definitely more entertaining, um, but it was so much fun with you guys, and I do agree. I think <clears throat> going on these journeys that you and I have both gone on, we learned so much about ourselves, and we both did it, obviously, at a young age. Um, obviously, you started way younger than I, way, way younger than I did, um, but I do agree. We learn a lot about ourselves and what we can and can't do, and we kind of prove ourselves wrong in a sense. We prove that we can do what we think we can't do. And kind of prove to other people that you can do um, a lot of things that you kind of tell yourself that are impossible at the beginning. Yeah, you both did it at a young age, but I I would say neither one of you did it at an age where you didn't deserve it, appreciate it, and work hard for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, age is age is uh, is a relative term, and and the maturity of both of you just you know to be to work hard. Uh, to appreciate the opportunities that you have, um, you know, it, I don't it's, know. It's, I, I don't, like, I don't. it's like it's like Bob tells the young secretaries at his office, age is Lincoln. just a number. <laughs> way, way to ruin your dad's awesome <laughs> heartfelt <laughs> Way to make it unsentimental, gosh. <laughs> I was just starting to cry. I do have this quote, though, from Lincoln, too. He He often says this. My father would womanize, he would drink. He would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. That's more like you, bro. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, my But Lord. I will say... Uh, how, did you, how did you know I was drinking again? <laughs> I can smell it on your breath. Um, They're in Oklahoma. I know. That's how bad his breath is. But, um, well, it wasn't very nice. Um, no, what, what Jim just said, though, is a good point. And I think I've told you this before, Jim, that I was approached by Neil Lawson years ago when they were auctioning off the first um, desert sheep tag on, on the Armanderas and it was a closed bid auction and um, he'd heard that I'd done some sheep hunting here in Arizona and wanted to know and he knew that I had kids that hunted and wanted to know if I wanted to bid on it and I almost felt bad but I, he's a really nice guy and I said Neil I think I really appreciate you thinking about me and letting me be aware of this opportunity but I think that letting a kid when they're 12 or 13 hunt for desert sheep um I don't think it's really doing them a service uh, if they don't really have a understanding of what the value of that animal is. And then, you know, what, what was it? Three years later, I, Jennifer was hunting on the Armanderas for desert sheep. And the issue was at that point for her, it was a quest to try to prove that she could do something as physical as trying to hunt the four North American wild sheep. And then for you, Lincoln, it was a different deal it was you trying to become the youngest kid to get all four north american wild sheep with a bow and arrow but my point i think is still a valid one that 
you know, if you're the dad and you think, gosh, man, that'd be so awesome to go on a desert sheep hunt. I wish I could do it. And here's a kind of a bargain for a desert sheep hunt for a kid. You may put the kid in a, in a position that he doesn't really appreciate or understand the value of that opportunity because he hasn't had enough other experiences. So I, I think that Jim's point a second ago was a good one that mm. you guys worked hard and trained and had these opportunities um, not to say that there aren't a lot of other kids that really have a passion for hunting and would get the same benefit out of it. They just don't have the means to be able to have those those opportunities placed before them. But I do think there are a lot of people, grown-ups that are hunters, that are successful, that want to give put their kids in situations for phenomenal opportunities that do not mean much to those kids yet because they haven't embraced it, don't have the passion, and haven't worked hard to earn it. Don't you think, Jim? Isn't that kind of what you're saying? Oh, and, and yeah, and absolutely neither you nor I experienced that. Mm. I mean, we definitely experienced kids who appreciated the opportunities they had, fully understood, had a respect for the animals, right. um, the unique opportunity to be able to pursue those specific animals. And, uh, you know, so it, it makes the harvest, uh, you know, all that much more special just because there was never a situation where it was taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Lincoln... Yeah, and I, and I think... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, so, uh, no, I think... I think um, I think something that I'll mention about me and Jen um, and our journeys towards the Grand Slam as well, um, I, I think that the biggest thing about it was that we really just wanted it. Um, man, the most successful people... You pick out the most successful people on a sports team and the people that really... Um, excel. I think I don't really think it's athletic performance. I don't think it's how good they are at it, um, how natural they are at it. But there's a point at which you really just have to want it. Um, and I can tell you one thing: um, at me and Jen's hardest moments on the mountain, um, or in the mountains, chasing different kinds of sheep, um, there, there were points where we wanted to give up uh, many times. But that's when it really just has to kick in that you really want it and, and how bad do you want it and how bad are you willing, uh, how hard are you willing to work for it? Um, and, and I think, I don't think that it was ever a question of how bad me and Jim wanted it. Um, we, again, it goes back to proving things to ourselves. We, but to ourselves, we had, we had too much to prove to ourselves to give up and that's why we wanted it so bad. Yeah, I agree. And, um, like I think the youngest kid to get, um, the grand slam with the rifle is 10 and I kind of thought that was a boy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was a boy um when I first heard that like obviously when I was 10 I shot my first deer and there's no way I would have respected getting a grand slam at 10 as much as I did at 17 because first of all I wanted that grand slam and I worked very very hard to get it and I asked my dad to go on those hunts and he trained hard with me and obviously Lincoln you and I we both wanted it so bad and we knew how hard it was to get that and we knew how much we had to work for it and we had the passion and we had the love for the animals most especially because we knew what it took to get that and we were willing to put in as much effort as we needed to and to put all of like everything on the line just for that just to prove mainly to ourselves and other people that we could do that and that we knew how much of a challenge it was going to be and we still had the passion to do it and to ask our dads to go along with us and help us. I do want to make sure yeah, that people, and, and, excuse me one second, Lincoln, I want to make sure people don't misunderstand that, you know, you're not criticizing, and I don't I don't remember the, that boy's name that okay. did that, but, um, you know, there was successful attend. That's a heck of an accomplishment that for is, yeah. anybody. That's amazing. Um, I th- and he, he probably had a real passion for it and, you know, not going to question his effort or whatever. It's a great accomplishment. 
I think the point that I was trying to make was as parents, it's sort of like um, we talked to Jennifer's um, uncle, Dave, about youth sports uh, a few weeks ago. And sometimes the parents that used to play high school or college or even professional sports, they want their kid to be so good, so early. They have more intensity in what that child's activities and their potential successes are than what the kids do. And my only point was, you know, I think we need to be cautious when we have our kids and we have means to put them in situations that it's about them. It's about their passion. We're not questioning what um, the the youngest kid to get a Grand Slam uh, with a rifle, what his motivation was, et cetera. But the point was it's for, for Lincoln and for Jennifer, the timing was great because it meant a lot to them and they worked hard for it. And it was, you know, something very appreciated and represented a great accomplishment. Yeah, and go obviously ahead, he yep. had to go through a lot to get that because obviously Lincoln and I both did it, and it is a lot of work, and especially at 10, I'm sure he had to work very, very hard to get it, and he, it is a great accomplishment Absolutely. to get at 10 for sure. I wish I, I wish I could remember his name because I, I really would love to. I, I really, it's just it's slipping, slipping my tongue, but um, I wish I could remember his name because it really is an awesome accomplishment, and I like what you and what Bob, you and Jen um, said. Um, awesome accomplishment by that by that young man, and um, congratulations to him and mm-hmm. and uh, man, I have respect for anybody that's spent time on those mountains that that me and Jen have, and um, yeah, it's 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 a life lifetime experience, and I know that he got to experience that with his dad too, and um, and I have respect for any dad that's willing to um, support his son in their dreams, you know, or or daughter. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, also. As an extension to like the question I asked, which we've by the way, so Sarah Brandenburg, I think you mentioned her name. She oh, is yeah. the youngest female grandson. Yep. Shout out, shout out, shout out to Sarah. Yes, for sure. Um, anyway, so like my extension to that question was, uh, like if you, what do you think would be different if you hadn't gone on your journey? Um, I would say I really don't know what what I would what I would be doing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that one thing that would one thing that would undoubtedly uh, be different um, would, would just be my sense of self-confidence that uh, I'm blessed to have now, um, and not not in a not in, obviously not in a prideful or arrogant way, but I'm just I think every kid needs a place to um, kind of be able to be wild and be able to do his own thing, and mm-hmm. and for a lot of kids that's that's sports that they flourish in, but for me that was always outdoors, yeah. um, and and honestly I, I don't know where I would um, there's a whole lot of worldly things that I unfortunately see. Um, some of my peers uh, falling into in order to pull that self that self worth and that self confidence from, um, and it, and it scares me and and makes me realize how close I would be, um, and and probably that I would be doing those things um, if I hadn't had this super slim journey and this time when my dad, um, for him to really pull pour into me and and uh, and teach me um, every step of the way and and his demeanor and his walk um, with Christ. Um, what what it means to be to be confident in that to be confident in your walk to be confident in who you are as a person um, enough to not fall into those worldly things that um, are tempting um, but but really just waste of time. So I think that I think that if I hadn't had this super slim journey, I think that that would probably be um, who I'd be right now, just somebody really lost, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and I, I maybe I maybe don't give enough credit to my amazing family and, and how they brought me up. Um, besides the super slime journey, uh, apart from the super slime journey, so I'm sure I wouldn't be all that bad. Um, but but I know that I wouldn't be the same person and, and have the same life experiences and um, be able to come from just a point of um, 
complete just appreciation and, and humility for, for what my dad has provided me with and the opportunity that my dad has provided me with and all the people that supported me along my journey. Um, and it just makes me um, so appreciative and so thankful that I've been able to experience this because I don't know where I'd be in life if it if it hadn't been for that super slim journey. And I think that that's why, um, I think that's why God uh, put me on this path and, and um, in order for me to be able to become the person that, um, that I am today. Yeah. Jen, I kind of think the same thing, you know, I'll let you answer your own question, but I'll answer you for it as well, is, you know, it's not, where would you be if you didn't do this? You know, I I think of your journey, and I honestly, I mean, the obviously the sense of accomplishment, like Lincoln's saying, just Mm. the confidence that comes from knowing you can put yourself in really tough situations. Uh, the unknown, where are we sleeping tonight, how long are we going to be here, what's mm-hmm. the weather going to be like, am I going to have enough meds, am I going to be healthy to complete what I'm starting, am I going to be able to get up the mountain, am I going to have the endurance, all the different things. And then when you push through those multiple times, it just gives you a sense of accomplishment that I don't know how else you would get that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, aside from just that stuff and the stuff on the mountain, you know, the stuff that I say you know, if, if I'm answering your question for you, when I watch you speak, just the public speaking or even the podcast stuff like tonight, to have the confidence to just work your way through, you know, a public forum or get up in front of 6,000 people at the Policy Foundation a couple of different years, I've seen you do it and just nail it. You know, Thank to you. me, it's not, I mean, and I love the sheep, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but to me, it's more about, I mean, to me, that's the journey. Yeah. The journey is just the maturation as a person and the confidence and the things you learn about yourself. And the animals are just, I mean, they're honestly, they're just kind of a, they're a part of it, but they're, they're a secondary part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And thank you for that. That's very nice. And Lincoln, I do agree with you. Um, I learned a lot about myself doing this and I definitely think I would be a different person without it. Um, Obviously, like you said this earlier, but I wasn't very good at sports as a kid. Um, Even now, like, I play tennis, and I used to swim a lot, but I was never very good at it. Um, Well, it's like doing with one long pad behind your back. It's kind of tough to compete in a lot of those sports. Yeah, so it's hard to be good at something when I have... Yeah, but when it comes to sheep hunting, when it comes to a young female sheep hunter, you are literally the best (laughs) in the world. Thank you. Yeah, and it, it just gave me something, like, to be good at, and I just don't want to that boastfully but um it gave me some like a sense of purpose and it kind of made me feel better about myself because I was never the best and I had friends who were the best at the things they did and it um did teach me a lot about myself it taught me a lot about my capabilities it taught me a lot about how um how mentally like how you can mentally um like kind of pull yourself down if you think you can't do something and then you don't push yourself hard enough to try because you just have convinced yourself in your mind that you won't be able to do it. So I think going on my Grand Slam journey and like going on your Super Slam journey that we have taught ourselves that we are capable of doing something that we have convinced ourselves that we aren't. And um, I definitely learned a, lot, learned a lot about myself and I definitely would not be the person I am today. Um, I don't think I would be as confident um, I definitely have um, gained confidence during this, especially like giving speeches and doing this podcast. Um, and I've learned a lot about myself and I have 
um, grown closer with the people I've done things with, like with you guys. Um, I've grown very close to you guys throughout this whole journey because you were with me every step of the way. And my dad and my whole family who was always there with me, my dad who's on the mountain with me every time. So I definitely have grown closer and I've grown closer to God. Um, when you're up there on those mountains, first of all, you see those creations and the nature that he has created. And it's just an amazing thing to see and seeing the animals and seeing obviously our capabilities of what we've been able to do. And I definitely have grown closer to God and I've grown closer in all of my relationships with people throughout this journey. And I just think it's an amazing thing that happened and it wasn't just to get the grand slam. Um, it had so many more, um, like outcomes and blessings because of it. And it wasn't just accomplishing that one goal. It, um, kind of had like a bunch of other impacts as well. Well said, Jeff. Yeah, <clears throat> oh, thank you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, one thing that I've learned and, and that I wish for everyone to be able to learn, um, every young person to be able to learn, uh, and I think that this is just a testament to how cool hunting is um, as a sport. Uh, meeting all of the greats of my sport, uh, or not all of them, but meeting a lot of the greats of my sport and a lot of my people who are my heroes in, in the sport of bow hunting and the sport of hunting, um, at, at these conventions and different places like that, man, it's really just given me a sense of how much people are just people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that, that's been such an amazing tool for me to use, uh, just in different parts of my life. And, and I don't say this, please, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but I really don't get nervous to meet people anymore. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how highly acclaimed they are. I just really don't get nervous to meet people because I know they're people. Um, we, we all have our own struggles. We all have our own things we're good at. Um, man, we're just all people. And so um, no, no person is different than another person. Um, and, and I think that's just been a cool thing for me just through meeting, meeting my heroes, meeting the people that are at the absolute top of the sport, like Tom Hoffman, Jack Frost, mm -hmm. um, just all the greats out there. Um, man, just meeting those guys and seeing how humble they are and seeing how they're just absolutely normal people yeah. um, that's just been a cool cool tool for me to take and any meeting that i ever have or any um a any person that i meet um you just don't get nervous to meet people and and what made me think of that is what my dad was talking about uh jen your speaking events and how you just absolutely nail it mm -hmm. uh, i kind of imagine you thinking of the crowd that way man they're just all people if you're literally talking to a room of people just like you mm -hmm. um in a way you know and so it's it's you know, that, that's something cool that I've been able to take away from the journey, too, just kind of a side note. And I, I wish that in other sports it was easily, more easily accessible for people to meet the heroes mm -hmm. of their sport. And I think that that's why hunting is so special in my heart is because, man, my heroes are, are, are touchable and they're, and they're, they're people, you know, and, that, and that's been super powerful for me as a person to be able to learn that. Yeah, and they, like you said, Tom Hoffman, and I've hung out with him, and it's, crazy to think how he is such like a legend in like the world of hunting but you can go up and talk to him have, have a regular conversation like he's like one of your cousins like he's such an easy person to talk to and he's so interested in talking to you he doesn't act like he's all that and he can talk to you. he's so much fun to talk to and David went on a hunt with him and he doesn't act like he is like the best hunter he doesn't act like a hunting legend even though he is he doesn't act he still like acts he's, like he's 20 years old. He does. He acts like a little kid. He doesn't act like he's too good to talk to you, which I think is amazing. And a lot of hunters 
like hunting legends are like that. They're so willing to talk to you and they're so willing to teach you things and just like understand what you've gone through through your hunting journeys as well. And I just think that's very awesome for the hunting community, especially at conventions and stuff. You can run into them and talk to them and like they're just regular people. I will say this though um, about Tom and, and Jennifer's going to record a podcast with him Tomorrow. coming up soon. But um, anyway, uh, those guys... It seems, and, and meeting them through Dirk Eddy, I was amazed at how humble these guys are. I think there's something about there's something about being a bow hunter and having you know half of your opportunities become failures that, that teaches you humility, humility and ability to not take yourself too seriously. It just seems like there's just a it seems like there's a different, um, um, at least common characteristic with a lot of the even the most successful bow hunters, just down to earth, easy to get along with. Yeah, people. one thing. Somebody that's really impacted me recently um, has definitely been uh, a friend of mine, a bow hunter friend of mine, Walt. Um, he went honestly. Wait, he went what's his, a lot we, of, didn't, we didn't catch the name Walt. You're what? still cutting out a little bit. Walt Palmer. Okay. Um, he's a, he's a he's a big big bow hunter. Um, he's he he can really come went through a lot of crap um, for a lion that he legally harvested. Um, and and uh, he, I I will say that after all the crap that he's been through. Um, after all the hate that he's gotten, death threats. Um, oh, this and, is the Cecil. Really, this is the Cecil Palmer. Right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Right. Um, after after all the stuff that he went through, uh, man, he uh, when you when he, when he pulls away to these conventions and he's around all of his bow hunter buddies and and when he's talking to me, he's the most friendly, helpful guy. Um, when it, when it comes to just bow hunting advice, advice on international hunts, very approachable guy. Um, and I, I just think that that's super cool to see somebody who, who went through a lot. Um, I, I know that that changed his family drastically, and it's honestly disgusting what these non what these anti hunters have done um, to this man. Um, uh, just just publicly shaming him for something that he did that wasn't even wrong, um, and, and still for him to just be uh, so helpful to somebody like me um, when I talk to him, and, and just another very humble. Uh, awesome guy that, that's just a great example of a purist bow hunter who's very uh, very appro- approachable so well, you know just, that's something i wanted to say yeah thanks yeah. for saying that his his name came up actually not his name but cecil the lion's name came up at um the surgical conference i attended recently somebody was telling me said to me that oh gosh every time i see you know some drama about some hunter killing an animal i look to make sure it's not you because they know i hunt a lot I said, well, talk about a guy who was vilified for doing nothing wrong. You know, Dr. Palmer is a dentist. His career was ruined. His life was threatened. His family's life was threatened because he killed a lion outside of a park, was not in the park. They did nothing illegal. They would have loved to string that guy up, but he did nothing illegal and nothing wrong. But because people had taken pictures of the lion, it was a celebrity, and he was therefore, uh, you know, the devil for killing it which is, you know, th- it was amazing to me how much the machinery was set up for that guy to have his reputation ruined, for the airlines to quit transporting trophies, and for all the anti-hunting agenda to be advanced so quickly uh, just because he killed an animal that people had seen pictures of. Well, the other side of the coin is if that animal is outside of the park, do you think that animal might have killed somebody's um, livestock or maybe other human beings or other things? Because it you know, obviously the animal didn't respect the boundaries of the park, so it was outside of the protection within the park, and he killed it with a bow and arrow. So I don't know. It's a, it's a dangerous thing, and and uh, doing this podcast is kind of puts Jennifer and myself in a vulnerable position because of 
the hatred that comes from the wacko fringe that don't understand the value of hunting. Mm-hmm. But um, we do need to stand up for our rights and, you know, uh, everybody needs to be to abide by the game laws and hunting ethics, etc. But when you do those things and you still have your life ruined because people were ready to do it and made a big social media blast, the news picked it up. It's a scary thing. It's like a lot of our values that are under attack. You know, it's uh, it's okay to to criticize you if you're a white Christian male hunter, but if you're one of the protected, you know, minority groups, you can't say a word about you. But I digress there. But I I agree with you, Lincoln, and uh, I feel sorry for that guy when he yeah. heard his story. He was actually, from what I heard, kind of hiding out here in Arizona for a while to get away from all of the violent threats that were placed upon him after that yeah it's very unfair which which the crazy thing is is that that's where you live bob and and honestly you're the most scary violent threat i could think of uh, well he's like a little foot, like a little <laughs> leprechaun five, five foot five foot one inch of straight just threat exactly oh hang on a second they just have a caption for you come and listen to the idiot hey everybody <laughs> the idiots are <laughs> 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 You're welcome, Lincoln. That's George Costanza. Oh, Lord. Okay. All right. Well, um, I just have one last kind of question. Um, so do either of you have any advice for someone who has, like, similar struggles like you and I did something that they want to overcome and maybe hunting is the way they're going to do that? Um, and just Or any advice for any young hunters in general who are maybe just getting involved or who want to do something more with it? Um, this is always a tough question for me. Um, because I think that I think that getting into hunting looks different for uh, looks different for uh, different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if if you have if you're lucky enough to have a family member that is into hunting and, and and passionate about hunting, then I think that's your outlet. If you're lucky enough to have a parent that is willing to support you, um, obviously that's ideal. Um, but really, just latch on to and I I know that I said earlier that you can't learn everything about bow hunting from somebody. Um, but having somebody to take you out hunting is definitely a start and definitely something that as a young hunter you will need. Um, mm. if it's a, if it's a parent, that's ideal. If it's a family member, um, great. Um, if it's a, if it's a friend, if it's a friend's dad, um, man, awesome. Um, but, but just latch onto whatever outlet and, and whatever, um, source of knowledge that you, who, whoever is your source of knowledge about hunting, um, start learning from them and, and ask them to take you hunting. And it's the, it's as easy as getting in the outdoors, and once you get in the outdoors, um, I, I don't know what it looks like for you, but once you've gotten in the outdoors and once you get that taste of hunting, um, there's not going to be much that's going to keep you from getting out there in the field. Um, I know that people say, well, I wish I had a big private ranch skill going on, um, but man, if, if, again, if you're into hunting and you really do love it, there's going to be nothing that's going to keep you out of the field. You're going to knock on doors for landowners' permission. Um, there's a lot of different things you can do, and there's a lot of different ways you can get into it, but, but latch on to that first source of knowledge and, and that first uh, mentor that you can uh, when it comes to hunting. Um, be safe out there and, and, and start getting into it. Just immerse yourself in the culture. And the nice thing about the North American hunting model is you don't have to be rich to go hunting. There's There are millions of acres of public land that, people can draw tags for and go hunting and have a great experience and i think something that um, lincoln touched on earlier is that these big time legendary hunters are just people and they started from where everyone starts from they start from the bottom and i think that um you don't have to be fantastic at what you do 
to be a hunter in general, um, you can just start by <clears throat> shooting a bow, shooting a rifle. You don't have to have the very best of everything, and you don't have to have the best tags. Honestly, we do it for the experience. We do it for what we learn and what we see. And so I think just getting out there, and even if you don't hunt, just spending time in nature, and it, you learn so much from just getting off of your couch, getting away from the TV and going outside and <clears throat> just spending time in the outdoors and God's creation is just, you learn so much about yourself and you have a deeper respect for the outdoors. And I just think you have an overall better experience in life and you kind of um, take yourself out of the social media, out of everything like that, and just spend time with yourself and with the outdoors. Jimothy, anything to add? No, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I mean, you guys are, I'm down incredibly proud to be a part of both of uh, Jen and Lincoln's journeys. It's, it's been a wonderful experience for me. Yeah. Thanks for excluding me from that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Bob who? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do have this to say to both Jennifer and Lincoln. Oh, God. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. That's not necessarily true, but it's a nice thing. We're the ones who've been talking mainly hunting. the whole time. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we do obviously have a lot to learn, but um, thank you guys for coming on here and talking to me um, and my dad. I do uh, have this to say to wrap it up, though. Okay. It was a pretty good story, don't you think? Made me laugh to beat the band. Parts, anyway. Big Lebowski. Goodness. Anyway, yes, well, thank you guys for coming on here and Lincoln sharing your story and Jim sharing your input and <clears throat> obviously fathers and Jim, thank you for keep um, kind of dealing with Lincoln and I and for helping us um, go on our journeys and accomplish that. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for coming on here and talking to me. It's been awesome. Thanks for having us, Jim. We love it. Hey, thanks for thanks for having us. Love y'all. Yeah, of course. All right. Thank well, you thank you for taking us on your journey because, you know, life is short and so am I. And I'm trying to make the most out of every day, and I hope that you guys do too. I hope you all have a great journey and make it an epic one. Woo-hoo. Thanks, right. Jen. Later, guys.